I'm Craig Fisher, and this is Inside Talent, where we take you inside the minds, behind the scenes, and show you some of the coolest tools and best practices of some of the coolest people in the talent industry. Hi, it's Craig Fisher, and I am with Matt Plummer, VP of Product Strategy for ZipRecruiter. Matt, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Craig. Yeah, uh, glad you're here with us. Uh, ZipRecruiter is sponsoring the upcoming TalentNet conference in Dallas on December 6th at Toyota's headquarters. So Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do and, uh, and what's going on uh, with ZipRecruiter now? Yeah, great. Um, and we're happy to, to uh, sponsor the show. Um, I think we're doing a good job of getting out there in front of people, and this is another great way to do that. Um, so yeah, Matt Plummer, uh, Vice President of Product Strategy at ZipRecruiter. I've been with Zip for almost six years now, uh, which for a sort of life in tech companies is, is a long run. Uh, it's a great organization, lots of really smart people. So I'm still excited to get up and, uh, and tackle some of those problems every day. Yeah. Um, my background uh, started in sort of the late 90s, uh, first dot-com wave and online music. Uh, after that imploded, made a transition into advertising technology, consumer advertising technology at companies like uh, Yahoo and then um, OpenX. And we were really you know, building out lots of pretty interesting advertising tech there, but ultimately you're, you're sort of selling widgets and monetizing impressions and um, not very rewarding work. Um, so I made my way towards ZipRecruiter, uh, knew a couple of people there and discovered recruitment uh, technology, recruitment uh, marketing. And it was far more rewarding of a space to help put people to work than it is just selling widgets. So been uh, very uh, blessed to be in this industry um, and get to know the folks like you and, and folks who kind of make this thing work. So that's a bit of my background. Um, in terms of ZipRecruiter's history, uh, we've got four co-founders who had worked together in LA um, and our, our CEO and co-founder, Ian Siegel, he hired a lot of people at LA startups and kind of had his own frustrations with the process of finding people and screening them and working through stacks of resumes. So he had kind of a, a typical uh, epiphany moment of there's got to be a better way. Uh, and that's when they really sat down and tried to figure out a way to, to get screened, uh, you know, qualified candidates out to hiring managers and, and the first customers gave them a lot of feedback about what they liked. And so they doubled down on that one thing, which was really delivering quality candidates to hiring managers. Yep. Um, you know, uh, I, I was a, an early adopter of ZipRecruiter uh, back in the day. And in the uh, job board heyday, uh, ZipRecruiter for us uh, staffing firm people was a bit of an epiphany. Um, you know, you could do things with ZipRecruiter that you weren't really able to do with the uh, monsters and career builders of the world. And they, uh, um, you know, there seemed to be a, a, a good niche there um, for, for staffing firms. And then I think that the, uh, it feels like the transition to, you know, becoming an enterprise player for employers um, was relatively quick. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're still, uh, chasing some of the new technology to help, employers, uh, you know, attract and sort through candidates. And so you're not doing the typical uh, job board thing, which is rinse and repeat. Um, you know, you're still advancing. And a couple of the other players are trying to do that too, while some have just fallen off, uh, lost funding, and, you know, haven't really made those advances. So, you know, what's the new technology all about? And 
Yeah, and that's a that's kind of a key difference. We've really never looked at ourselves as a job board, and not just to kind of differentiate from some of the incumbent players, but we've always really thought of ourselves as an online employment marketplace. And and we've built a team of people here who have come from marketplace businesses like like myself and others. Um, and if you think about sort of the when we looked at the industry, at least kind of a lot of new people coming in, you look at the first wave of classified ads coming online. Um, and that's what that's kind of when we got started, when um, I wouldn't say back that early in the day, but that's kind of what the world looked like back in like 2010-ish when we got started. Um, and in about 2015, we started to really look at some of the problems with that model, uh, the sort of post and prey model, if you will. Um, and a lot of it came down to discoverability. We really just learned that um, for the most part, job seekers aren't really good at searching for jobs. Uh, they don't understand skill uh, transferability too well. Um, and then recruiters spent way too much time trying to do Boolean-based searching to find people with the right skills and everything. So that's when we set about to build sort of our, our first real um, major technology innovation around our AI-based matching, built out a great team in Tel Aviv, Israel, uh, to, to, to build that up. Um, so our, our second way was really uh, more discovery-based recommendations. Um, think about like a Netflix model where you can sit down and fire up your Netflix app on your Apple TV or whatever it is, and your recommended content. And a lot of the Netflix consumption comes from that model. So we kind of took a cue from that. And then we really think about the third wave that we're getting into, um, not just discovery on the job seeker side, but really creating human connections between recruiters and job seekers or candidates. Because right now, both sides of the marketplace are complaining about effectively a black hole. We've always known about the, the job seeker black hole where you know they apply and they never hear back. But now a lot of recruiters are complaining about not being able to get a hold of job seekers. So they find a good candidate in their ATS, they try and reach out and they're not getting anything back. So we look at that as a real material problem to try and solve for. And we think that using Oddly enough, using uh, artificial intelligence, we can actually create more sort of human connections between recruiters and candidates. And that's what we're really excited about. And I think we continue to sort of keep that differentiation between the you know, traditional job board model. Yeah, so I, I think that the, um, the, the regular communication that a little bit of automation can help employ uh, on the uh, candidate communication side is is a game changer. It really does um, assist in sort of uh, the human connection. And it's because uh, recruiters are, are too busy and active job seekers are, are really busy. Uh, and, you know, it's difficult without a massive spreadsheet or some sort of, um, you know, really good system to even keep track of all the jobs that you're applying for when you're active. Um, passive job seekers, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they have jobs, right? I mean, so it's very difficult for them to uh, even respond in real time most of the time. And so, you know, a little bit of that automation goes a long way when you start to understand and learn when those uh, passive job seekers are responsive. Yeah, totally agreed. And th there's this whole process um, that happens today that is pretty transactional, right? You've got maybe a recruiter posting a position a job seeker discovers that applies to it, but there's no real connection there. Um, and then you know, the recruiter's back in their ATS and looking at a list of candidates. And so we very much agree with that. Um, and actually we rolled out earlier this year, um, our, our first version of what we call Get Recruited. Um, it's an interesting process that kind of flips the, the hiring process a bit on its head. So 
when a when a recruiter is opening up a position, we're going to use our technology to actually show them candidates that we think would be a good fit for the role, and then they can selectively go through with a brief overview and say, yeah, I want to invite you know maybe these five recommendations, and the invitation actually comes from the recruiter. So it's not ZipRecruiter recommending the positions; it's the recruiter saying, hey, I'd like to to uh, actually invite you to apply, um, get to know you a bit better, and that really kicks off an interesting sort of virtuous cycle of the recruiter identifying candidates, they've seen the names there, the candidates get this fair, fairly you know custom personalized greeting to apply or invite to apply, candidates then apply, and you've got this sort of familiarity already there between the brand and the candidate and the recruiter. Um, and we're seeing some pretty, pretty good early stats on that in terms of engagement um, between those two parties. So again, that just little technology hacks, if you will, to kind of to nudge those relationships along. Um, we find it to be pretty powerful so far. So that almost seems like CRM functionality when CRMs work like they're supposed to. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure they very often do. Uh, and I think it's because um, we rely too much on the recruiter to do the heavy lifting with the CRM, right? You have to actually use it in order for it to work. This seems like a much more automated approach that should be easy for adoption for uh, for recruiters. Exactly, and in our view on that, um, I would love to have TA teams that were really beefed up with like true recruitment marketing skill sets, and maybe we'll get there. But right now, TA teams are just you know underwater trying to work through requisitions, and so uh, we we looked at that and said, well, instead of them doing the heavy lifting and trying to understand how to run campaigns and, and find candidates and all that, let's do as much of that as we can for them. Um, let's embrace the fact that they're they're busy and. You know, they, they haven't been trained up on, you know, core marketing strategies and stuff like that. Yeah. So the uh, I, I'm I've clicked through the get recruited model and it's basically as a as a candidate, um, it's a one click thing and, and enter keywords. And it's uh, it's, you know, single sign on through Google and it's just as simple as it can be. So the candidate experience has to be great. It is, and actually, um, the background for some of that, uh, the reason we use the get recruited language, uh, we did a lot of surveying of job seekers and looking for pain points and looking for things that really caught their interest. Um, and you know, it was a bunch of like, you know, we're corporate workers, we're in product roles, um, we get recruited a lot. Uh, we get a lot of inbound activity, people looking to you know bring us into a new opportunity. Um, but the average job seeker never gets that experience, you know, unless you're in a role that's sort of going to have somebody going after you and sending you emails and stuff like that, you just don't have that get recruited experience. And that's really where uh, that name and that that idea um, was born from is giving everybody the experience of being recruited actively. Yeah, I, and I can see how that is appealing on the job seeker side for sure. Does it get overwhelming on the applicant uh, on the application side for the employer? Uh, no, not too bad. We've we've got things kind of throttled on both sides to keep things sane. Um, and again, we're we're kind of recommending to the recruiter the candidates that we think that they should invite to apply. So it's like a we just flipped our our uh, AI matching on its head, and instead of automatically inviting the candidates we think are a good match, we present those to the recruiter. So they're they're weeding through um, you know that short list of candidates that we've sent out to kind of find the little things that that they know that they're really looking for. Um, so it keeps the, the volume down, which is great because I think we'd all agree a recruiter would rather, you know, work through, you know, 10 applicants where they're going to find a few that they really want to engage with at a deep level, as opposed to a hundred candidates where they've got to get down to that 10. Right. 
So is there a stack ranking involved or is it basically just um, automatically or automagically saying these are the 10 you should definitely connect with? Yeah, more of the latter. So we're trying to just make sure that they see with a short list, you don't really need too much stack ranking. I think if you've got uh, you know, 100 candidates to work through, that, that's where the stack ranking really becomes much more important. Right. So do you see yourself uh, competing now with uh, both um, job boards and CRM and sourcing technologies? I mean, I guess that's three different things. And, you know, there's there's a million of them and you're doing a little bit of all of that. So where do you sit in the in the competitive landscape? Yeah, not too much on the CRM side. I think if you're uh, a TA organization that adopts CRM, um, you've raised your hand and really said, uh, I, in theory, you've raised your hand and said, that's something that we really want to own. We want to become um, skilled professionals at, at this sort of recruitment marketing function. Um, so I don't think we're directly competing there. I would say for sure with job boards, you know, we've always been competing for mindshare there. And I think we have some pretty clear differentiators. Um, but I'd say it's, it's probably more in that category than it's going to be with the uh, CRM. So tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, where the, the roadmap is going and, uh, you know, I, I, I see the progress that's, that's come in a you know, fairly short amount of time since you started on this, a uh, little bit of automation journey and it's, it, it seems to work well. Um, we hear good things from, uh, the employers that we know that are using, uh, the product. So. Um, you know, what's next? Yeah, so I, we are going to keep doubling down on what we do well. Um, I had mentioned kind of our, what we see as a bit of a third wave to nudge that experience through. Um, and so we're going to continue to, to stay focused on really driving qualified candidates, um, helping with candidate discovery, helping candidates or job seekers discover new opportunities. Um, I think if we can do that, we're going to fundamentally improve the way that hiring works um, at a larger scale. Um, and we're really one of the few companies at scale that, that has enough data to, to do this well. If you think about a lot of these AI startups, they don't have any data to work off of. They, they are training algorithms off of you know, small data sets and stuff like that. That's We've right. been in business for almost 10 years now. We've been running our AI team for uh, almost five years now. Uh, we're sitting on hundreds and hundreds of millions of applications and billions of data points. So we think we've probably just really scratched the surface, um, you know, in, in sort of uh, technology years, you know, five years has been great, but every year you, you get sort of incrementally smarter or maybe exponentially smarter. So right. uh, we think we're going to do a great job there um, and get sort of inside more, more enterprise TA teams and show them what we can do. So I like what you say about the uh the the data set um there are a million ai startups and you're right and without good data and without um you know someone actually actively programming and building decision trees for these products they kind of just sit there i've i've implemented a few myself and um, some instances are good and some instances don't do much for quite a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it sort of depends on the, uh, well, depends on the ATS, uh, generally for the customer and, um, maybe sometimes the CRM and how much access you get, um, to that data and what format it's in. And there are all these variables that make, uh, AI sort of, uh, cumbersome and tricky when it should be lightweight and easy. 
Um, so it, it feels like you've got, you know, enough of the, what we would consider uh, the active and, and passive candidate pool that we want uh, from, say, a LinkedIn or even, uh, you know, a Google search, um, mm-hmm. you know, right there already in your database from the nearly 10 years experience. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the, you kind of mentioned something that's interesting there. A lot of people uh, don't understand that when they're deploying, let's call it sort of a deeply embedded AI type of solution, it's kind of like hiring a new employee. Um, somebody's got to train that employee. Somebody's right. got to you know, teach it how to do its job. Um, and a lot of firms don't really sort of put that in the planning. And so to your point, some of that tech just sort of sits there. Um, and in our case, you know, we're think of our AI as almost like a supplemental employee. We've, we've done all the training. We've really trained this thing how to do its job well. And, uh, you know, it gets a little smarter when it works with each of our individual customers based on their own behaviors. But we've got this, you know, trained uh, sort of, you know, uh, sort of contingent employee just dropped right in for you to help you out with your sourcing. Yeah, it's funny. We, we started referring to that as the fifth type of employee a little while back, uh, right? So you've got your uh, basic types of workers, including interns, contingent, perm, task-based, and now now the artificial type, which is should be a good employee right out of the box, but isn't always the case. That's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow that from you and use it as the artificial employee then. There you go. That's right. Uh, all right. So let's talk about you. Um, it's interesting, uh, obviously, probably coming from the, um, the early days of, uh, you know, dot com and, and, uh, and online streaming music. Um, you know, I've got my I've got my friends here in town uh, that have lots of fun stories with Mark Cuban and folks like that. And, uh, you know, I, I find that sort of uh, history fascinating. Um, and you've had a pretty steady, fun run of, you know, cool things. But I think, you know, like you said, when you get into recruiting, it's, it's addictive, right? And it is, uh, it's rewarding. But so, you know, tell me a little bit about the history of, uh, of Matt. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the uh, early days of music streaming. That was, you know, I was 20 years old and I got into that and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know any better in life. Nobody does at 20. Um, but man, I had some really amazing moments in that first dot-com boom from, you know, a company that went public just like months after we really got started and had a, we had Billy Idol play at our IPO party. Um, cool. that was pretty amazing. <laughs> I think one of my favorite projects actually that I got to work on, um, it was, you know, kind of the intersection of people picking up MP3s on the internet. Um, but we still really held on to CDs and that was kind of our transportable medium. Um, I got to work on this pretty cool solution that burnt CDs on demand. So you could be on, uh, it was the company was mp3.com. So you could be on the website. Uh, you could say, I want to buy this artist album. And immediately these machines came to life and would burn the CD and print it and drop it into a little, uh, sort of distribution, uh, center that would get shipped out. And as a, you know, 20, 21 year old getting to program all that, like all the robotic automation, everything, that was a, that was a fun way to get started in my career. Yeah. That Um, sounds, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I forget about those days sometimes, but that was fun. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we uh, pushed the envelope a bit, got our pantsuit off of us. Uh, and then the record label that, that took us to court actually bought us after they uh, took all of our money in, in court. Uh-huh. Um, so that was all downhill from there. But now you look at streaming music and, and everything that we did to kind of pave the path for that was pretty amazing. Right. Uh, it's, you know, we take it for granted now, at least my kids definitely do. Right. 
But yeah, yeah. so I uh, made my way to LA after that and have been here, like I said, went through ad tech and into recruitment tech, but um, sort of a day in the life. I've got a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old girl. And so, you know, days are pretty packed in with all of that activity. Um, and when I'm not traveling, you know, I really try to spend, there's like, I kind of look at it as like these three key moments in the day I try and spend with them. There's uh, the walk to school. It's only about a half mile walk. We have Southern California weather. So it's a great walk to school in the morning. Right. Uh, the blood flowing, you get them talking. Uh, then there's the sit down at the dinner table and then the, the putting them to bedtime. And you know, just these moments to get them to talk to you. Not like the normal, how was your day nonsense where you get pretty unsatisfying answers, but really like you just get them to start talking about stuff. And that's when you learn the most about your kids. You learn where they're vulnerable. You learn where they really need you. Um, so I find that like, especially at this point in their life and this age, um, I spend a lot of time thinking about that just because it's such a critical point in you know, turning them into to functioning teenagers and adults eventually. Right. Yeah. Since my, uh, my, my oldest turned, uh, 16, uh, I've had less windshield time with my kids because mm -hmm. I've got three boys and he now drives them around to a lot of the places they need to go. And it occurred to me at one point that. I'm not really talking to my kids anymore because I'm not driving them around. So now my wife gets mad at me uh, for, you know, quote, wasting my time driving kids around. But uh, it's it's important. I mean, it's it's it needs to be done. Yeah, that you're not doing that for the drive. You're doing that for the uh, for the FaceTime. So it's a different doing, strategy. Doing that for the dad is what I'm doing that for. Right. That's right. Totally agree with that. <laughs> uh, all right. So do you travel much? Do you get around to uh, any of the industry events and uh, and and? What do you like? Yeah, my travel kind of falls into, I guess, three buckets. One would be, you know, personal vacation travel. Uh, the other would be, we have a big office in Tempe, Arizona, um, and I've got a team there. So I like to spend some good time with them and go out there about every other week. That's a nice, easy flight out of uh, Burbank Airport here in LA. Nice. Um, and then the third bucket would be actual client travel. So you know, I've got a, a little bit of a nebulous title and product strategy, but really what that means is, um, you know, I've built our enterprise products here at Zip. And now I'm trying to make sure I'm in the field with clients to make sure we're representing ourselves in the best way possible. And that really ultimately we're learning. Um, we need to, to make sure what's happening with our customers, what's happening in the field is well communicated and well reflected in what we're doing back at HQ and what we're doing out in Tel Aviv. So I listen a lot. I talk to customers. Um, I, I just make sure that we, we know what the pain points are. We know what the challenges are. We know what we're doing well. And then, and Bring that back and make sure every function of the company uh, understands that from product engineering, marketing, you know, even accounting when it comes down to you know invoices and a AR and everything. So um, that's what I spend my my business travel primarily doing. Um, hit up some of the events um, uh, here and there where we get some good concentration of customer activity, and I can go you know meet with folks there. I appreciate you taking this time to share with me and the audience to. Uh, you know, kind of fill us in on what's going on with ZipRecruiter and, and with Matt Plummer. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm excited for the future and, and looking forward to uh, seeing the team at TalentNet uh, in December at Toyota's headquarters here in the Dallas area. Well, great. We're in, like I said, we're, uh, we're happy to be there. Um, trying to see if I can uh, squeeze myself into that show and come meet you face to face. Uh, that'd be fun. It's great. If not, next time I'm out in L.A., uh, drinks on me. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Greg. All right, Matt. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Inside Talent. Learn more about the future of talent today at insidetalent.org, where you can sign up for regular updates, 
and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. 